Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. On today's episode, we're going to talk about PlayStation finally showing off the PS5's new UI, whether or not Sony FBI is listening in on your voice chat, and we're going to dig into a Phil Spencer interview that took place last week. But first, an update on our last episode, Cyber Crunch 2077. Last week, there was an episode of the Game Informer show uh, that brought up um, the reporting of Jason Schreier and the crunch happening at uh, CD Projekt Red um, in terms of you know Cyberpunk 2077. Now, the following statements I'm about to read off were made by Liana Rupert, who is an associate editor for Game Informer. And uh, she kind of had brought this up and she wanted to kind of bring another side to the story. Now, I will preface this by saying that I don't think that any of these statements um, that she brought up on the show, you know, are are lies. You know, a lot of them are kind of in direct contradiction with the reporting uh, that Jason Schreier made talking about crunch, not only just crunch, the mandatory crunch that we heard about within the last six weeks of development for Cyberpunk 2770, excuse me, 2077, but just, um, you know, crunch overall throughout the game's development. Uh, and she brought up a, a few things. I want to break them down, and we're going to talk about uh, Jason Schreier's response and then a response from an actual CD Projekt Red developer um, to what she said. But, you know, some of the things that she had brought up uh I addressed in, in, in the last episode uh, that I did for the show, which was just bring up kind of these consistent issues with the way that we kind of perceive crunch and the fact that a lot of gamers, whether they be within the uh, being a journalist or within games media or outside of it, kind of keep bringing up these consistent issues that sort of change the way that we perceive crunch and um, serve to kind of change the narrative a bit and are sort of shining a light on the thing that we should not be focusing on when it comes to crunch. Obviously, with the last issue, I was uh, very passionate, <laughs> I think, in terms of speaking about crunch. I think it was probably the most uh, F-words I ever <laughs> I ever uttered in a single Camp Koji, but I think I think a lot of my frustration was kind of born from the fact that a lot of people once again are shining the light on the wrong part of the story. And some of the things that she brought up serve as an example of what I meant. So one of the things that she brought up was quote, the compensation is above and beyond what they're already getting. So just kind of echoing what I had brought up um when I had talked about this in the last episode, which was kind of this explanation that we like to give crunch, which is, well, if you're getting paid for it, then you know none of it matters. Or, you know, they're being compensated for it, so it's okay if they work 90-hour work weeks, which, once again, should not be okay. Uh, and the other word that I think I brought up in the last episode more than any other episode of Camp Koji. This is episode number 660 that I'm doing of this show. The other word that I brought up more than, than, than any other episode was the word normal, which is it shouldn't be normal for us to think that it's okay uh, for people to you know work 100-hour work weeks 
because they're being paid for or they're being compensated more than you know the uh, the industry average for example um you know that that's just shining the light on that that's not the thing that we should be really focusing on so that was one of the things that she had brought up the other thing that she brought up was this quote from what i understand from talking to a few people there there was a discussion on do we want to delay the game again or do we want to crunch from what i've heard the mass majority agreed to a six-day work week now once again i want to preface this by saying that i i do not think that this um uh associate editor from game former was lying i'm pretty sure that she did speak to someone within cdpr that did feed her this line my guess is probably the person who told her this is is probably in the upper management of the company i can't imagine this coming from a lower level employee and i will say just obviously not knowing the specifics i personally do not have any connections i don't know a single cdpr employee but from where i'm sitting there's just absolutely no way that this is true there's no way that this major company uh, decided to kind of institute a vote <laughs> amongst people because that's kind of the way that it sounds. You know, from, from what she was saying was there was the discussion on do we want to delay the game again or do we want to crunch? I highly doubt that discussion was company-wide. There's no way the discussion was, you know, uh, involving all levels of employees. I mean, it's not like they put out a hat and told people, hey, you know, blind vote, yes or no, do you want us to delay the game or keep on crunching? There's just no way that discussion was was, was had. Now, if she's speaking about discussion, then we're talking about discussion, uh, you know, with high-level executives, you know, really the decision makers, the managers within CDPR. So that kind of leads me to believe that she did have a conversation with someone that's part of that leadership and management team, because I guarantee you that was not a company-wide directive. That was, you know, you bring together your team leaders, you bring together your managers from the different departments within your company in order to come into a consensus and an agreement of what should we do? Should we delay the game or should we put out a directive that mandates that you're crunching, even though, you know, people have been crunching for years now, uh, which, which once again is one of the fundamental issues with crunch is there's no such thing as optional or voluntary crunch. And, you know, I brought that up in the last episode, but there's no way that there was like a company wide, you know, vote <laughs> for something like this. So that leads me to believe that the person that she spoke to was a higher level employee. And I, I feel like it kind of changes the context of everything that she was saying, because if you are part of that high level, yeah, you're going to kind of sell it in this way of like, well, people wanted to crunch. That was a decision that we came to. Uh, it, it's just not true. There's no way that I can believe that uh, a conversation like that was had. Uh, and then Jason Schreier corroborated that when he tweeted, quote, to clear up another point, I asked a couple of CDPR devs if it's true that the majority of them wanted six day weeks over a delay. They said that conversation never took place. One employee said, quote, we got the email and then a meeting with our team leaders. It was never an option or a question. It's, I mean, this is just kind of one of those things where you don't need to be in those rooms. You do not need to be a fly on the wall to understand that there's no way that something like this happens. This is not how companies run. Come, there's not a single company um, on the face of this earth, especially a major company that's going to make a decision that directly affects the financials of a company, you're going to leave it to 
the QA testers. Hey, QA testers, let, let's put this up to a vote. Like, it's just not realistic. There's just no way something like that actually happened. Uh, and then she also brought up how different Polish laws are. And from the people she spoke with, none of them saw it as crunch. Apparently, there are laws in place in Poland um, where, you know, you can't mandate someone, you can't force someone to do overtime. But as we've spoken about before in the show, there are definitely ways around that. And they were corroborated by an employee at CDPR. Now, Jason Schreier responded um, to this by defending his reporting. And I, I don't think I saw it as Liana kind of directly attacking Jason Schreier's reporting. I think that she really just wanted to bring another side um, uh, to this story. But I think that, you know, once again, you know, look, this is the way that I feel. If there are issues at a company, I'm trusting the employees, not the CEOs. You know, I'm listening to the employees. I'm not listening to the managers. And the fact that she was told by someone that, hey, there was a discussion on whether we should delay or we should crunch, and we decided to crunch, um, you know, that leads me to believe that the person or the people that she spoke to were management level or leaders and up above. So I already automatically am not going to trust the word of those people, and I kind of feel like she shouldn't either, and... um or she kind of should have brought that up maybe when she kind of um, mentioned this on that uh, podcast. And because this came out, it, it brought up once again, uh, you know, Jason Schreier, and his, you know, quote unquote, uh, uh, agenda uh, against crunch. So he, he defended his report it and he published an email sent from studio head Adam Bukowski, where he states, uh, hold on, let me pull up this email. Um, so he had sent out this email and it, it, it mentions we moved the date again to November 19th. Remember, this was sent in June, uh, which was, I think, the last time that they did mention a delay to November. Uh, he said, I know it's the biggest sweet moment for many of you. On the one hand, we're happy because we've gained the extra time um, we need for the game to really shine. On the other, we're sad because it means a longer period of intensive work and we are all running on fumes i remember this is the head of the company so what he just said it was remember it means it he didn't say it means a long period of intensive work he he stated a longer period of intensive work and we are all running on fumes i would like to offer you some sort of solve it all explanation but i can't find any the truth is we need to finish the game but we won't finish it um for september and then towards the end of it, he actually addresses the partners of the people working at CDPR. So the the, the wives, husbands, boyfriends, girlfriends, uh, basically the family of the people that are working in this company. He said, if I could wish for anything, I would like to humbly ask you to endure in the effort to deliver the game. I would also like to extend an apology to your partners and ask for their support as well. Dear partners... <laughs> I am fully aware that the hard work of your loved ones often means they cannot participate on the home front, but I promise this is the last stretch and the finish line is near. And the reason why I kind of chuckled when I wrote that is because, you know, sometimes you need to be able to um, shut down all sides of a conversation and just read something and be able to to, to make your own assess, uh, uh, assessment based on what you just read. And like I said, this is coming from Adam Badowski, who's the studio head of CD Projekt Red, saying longer period of intensive work, 
um, stating that they're already running on fumes. Remember, this was this was released back in June. Right now, we're in October. And basically telling the partners of the people that are working, you know, um, I'm sorry, I apologize. And then admitting, we know that this often means that your loved ones cannot participate on the home front. And once again, this goes back to what I was talking to a few weeks ago, which is this is not normal. But it's normal for the people that run these studios to be fully aware of the effect that Crunch has on these families. And to just come across and say, hey, we know that um, we're taking your husband, we're taking your wife away from your family, but please understand. And it's like, no, <laughs> if if my wife is working, you know, 90, 100 hours a week and she's not here um, to watch her kids grow, like, I, I can't understand. I'm not going to say, oh, it's okay because this game is going to be great. And that's kind of the way that he ends it, which was all this hard work is going to lead to Cyberpunk being one of the most memorable games of this generation. And once again, I want to reiterate that a lot of the cause of crunch and people working 80, 90 hours a week is because of management, is because of these projects being mismanaged once again. So that's why I always talk about if you want to end crunch culture, you have to hold those leaders accountable. You know, you have to hold those managers accountable as saying, hey, every time we delay a game, your bonus is going to drop by 30% or something crazy like that. You're going to see a lot of these delays probably become non-existent because now they have to do a much better job at managing these projects. Um, then we had an internal CDPR employee confirm uh, that the devs have been crunching nonstop since at least May 2019. They put something up on Reddit talking about this. Um we asked, what's the plan if we can't deliver in the set deadline? And up until December, the answer for management was, quote, we have to, there is no plan B. So here you go. First year of crunch there, of course, first a two-month delay, then another six months of delay. And to give a picture of how low is the level of communication between management and developers, we found out both times on Twitter and other socials that the game was being delayed. With, a mail, with an email from Adam following a few hours later. Same happened with the gold release and any other announcements since June 2019. Now imagine if you're pouring 60, 70, 80 hours a week into this game and you find out from a friend or someone you know, you know, texts you and says, hey, did you see the tweet? Or, oh man, I'm so sorry, I heard Cyberpunk was delayed. Imagine finding out that this game that you've been basically killing yourself to create you find out on Twitter that the game is being delayed, not internally, not through an email, not from your manager, not from your team leader. That's the way that you find out that your game is delayed. You find out that your game just went gold and there's a celebration happening because you found out on via Twitter, via Cyberpunk's official Twitter, not because internally there was an email thanking the team and we finally went gold. So these are the things that you just cannot ignore. Now, Mind you, of all this going on, who do you trust? <laughs> the employees or do I trust the leaders and the managers? I'm going to trust the employees that are telling me that there are bad working conditions. Um, same thing from that same employee. Many people have been spending the weekends in the office 16 hours per day pretty much since June 19. I want to reiterate that 16 hours per day. He also said also the quote, quote, end quote, awesome labor laws guarantee your right to refuse. Uh, excuse me. Let me let me rephrase that. 
He's claiming that the labor laws guarantee your right to refuse. Basically, it guarantees your right to refuse uh, overtime, to which CDPR can't say much. But you're constantly peer pressured to crunch and work 14 through 16 hours per day. Mandatory crunch was made official only as of late. But I know colleagues that have been crunching ever since late 2018, especially on the quest and design department, which obviously is one of the most ambitious parts of this game is how many quests it has. The crunch is paid by any means and paid well too, but it disrupts your work-life balance when everything is behind. People get 85 hours worth of tasks per week and your performance and pay, including career advancement, rises, and the fabled bonus on which we'll get to later, are metered over your completion rate, which I've seen being over 100%. And he claims that their task management tool counts 40 hours of tasks done as 100%. So here we are hearing from an internal employee, everything that we know about crunch, which is him saying like, yes, you can't be forced to crunch, but your advancement in the company, career advancement, your rise, you, uh, rises, I guess what he means is like a, uh, uh, a promotion, I think is what, what we call it here in America. Remember, this is in Poland. I think they call it rises over there. And the bonus they all hinge on your performance. So with that being said, that's what we mean by crunch. It's like, it's not on paper that yes, you have to crunch, but hey, if you don't crunch, you're probably not going to get that promotion. You're not going to advance in your career. Your bonus won't be as big as you want it to be. Um, he also claims that the company also has ways to make your life miserable. If you're going to enforce rights and work the bare minimum that you legally have the rights to because of the Polish laws, Examples that he gives was they'll move you across departments, they'll change your producer, they'll move you away from your colleagues until you get fed up by the constant chaos, and you're put in a position where it's hard to properly work, and then you'll be penalized for it. And this is something that we've brought up, that Jason Schreier has that has brought up, uh, that I've brought up on the show about this is really what crunch is. Crunch is not just the extra six weeks before uh, uh, a game goes gold. Crunch is this mentality throughout the entire time that you're developing a game where you are one way or another you're forcing people to work extra hours he also said in general overtime is a thing despite polish labor laws people have been ordering better roles to stay in the office and there are people that clocked over 1600 hours of crunch so this kind of goes back to to what i mentioned in the last episode which is that you, you, gamers, I, I understand the excitement for this game. I understand, you know, um, the associate editor of Game Informer, what's her name, Liana Rupert, trying to bring kind of another side uh, to the story. But what what this really comes down to is what do you desire for another human being? And no human being should ever have to feel like they need to work 80 hours a week or they're going to lose their job. They're not going to be able to get access to that bonus. They're not going to be able to advance their career if they don't work 80 hours. And once again, as I said, there, there are tactics that these companies employ in order to uh, mentally break you down you know, to make sure that you're not that that employee that at 5 p.m. they're getting up from their desk, gathering their things, and they're leaving. Even though they're defended by labor laws, you will face punishment if you do that. That's the issue at hand. That is the definition 
of crunch. And I'm getting, uh, I'm getting, you know, obviously I, I went pretty crazy in the last episode of how annoyed I am by people that uh, are, are journalists and 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 people who who claim that they love this industry uh, that that are turning a blind eye to this and only highlighting the positives. They're the ones that are saying, "Well, let's celebrate." Uh, the hard work instead of highlighting all the work. It's like no, you 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 can't have one without the other. And 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 we all do this. Look, every single human being is ignorant at some point. And that you know, it's like that claim that ignorance is bliss. Like right now in front of me, I have my iPhone 11 Pro, which trust me was not created in ideal you know, workplace circumstances. A lot of people are aware, you know, love their 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 their, uh, their sneakers, their Jordans, Nikes, Adidas. They're not created in the most humane uh, standards when it comes to employment, right? They're not the most humane workplaces. Same goes for. Uh, the concept of fast fashion, H&M and Fashion Nova. The same goes for what you consume, milk, eggs, chicken, beef. The way that these meats are harvested is definitely not the most humane thing. And you can go and watch those videos and you can see exactly what it takes to get a steak from a cow over to the supermarket. And it's going to be one of the most heartbreaking disgusting things that you will ever see in your life. If you see the way that a chicken farm is actually run and not the way that, you know, those Purdue commercials want you to think that it is that the chickens have this great pampered life and they're able to run around. Right. Um, but, but I still eat chicken, right? I still eat steak, just like so many people. It's willful ignorance. And that's exactly what it is when it comes to cyberpunk and crunch. You know, you can, you can enjoy, you know, that, 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 uh, chicken, you can enjoy that slice of cheese, but you can't say that, you know, it's, it's done on the most humane practices. And the same goes for cyberpunk. I I'm going to enjoy cyberpunk 2077 while simultaneously not turning my back and ignoring all these stories that are coming out. If you really love this industry, you want Jason Schreier, you want people like him that are digging deep, that are exposing these stories. Because it's weird, you know, when I see on Twitter, people are saying like, oh, this is what Jason Schreier is going to be known for. He's going to be known for for tearing down employees and, you know, making them feel scared to be proud of their job. And I'm like, no, if we, if in 20, the year 2024, we find out that there finally has been a union for for uh for coders and artists and 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 developers and QA testers and they're finally part of a union where they have a seat at the table. Jason Schreier is going to sit back and say, "Yeah, I think I I was a piece of this puzzle." Like he probably is not going to say that oh, I single-handedly did this, but he is going to sit back as a journalist and say that I am one of the reasons why a lot of these employees, these men and women, have a much healthier work-life balance and are able to deliver these games that we love. So stop turning your back on this. I'm, you know, Jason Schreier actually echoed the same thing that I said, which is this isn't about 
painting CDPR as like this the, the the evilest company in the world because so many of these companies do the same thing. This isn't about hey, let's start a boycott on Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven because that's not going to work. You're only hurting the devs that have, are working hundred hour work weeks. This is do not ignore any of these facts that are being presented to you. And like I said, I, I understand why um, Liana from Game Informer brought this up during her uh, during that Game Informer podcast, but you also can't ignore these other things. You can say like, hey, this is what I heard, but I also understand that this is what, this is the reporting that Jason Schreier has done. So I want you to know that within CDPR, there are two stories being told. Well, duh, of course the upper management is going to tell you that everything is okay, even though it really obviously is not the Amazon commercials are going to show you that every single Amazon employee is more than happy and they show them with their smiles. And when I drive my Amazon truck, I stay safe. And you see the Amazon employees with their masks on and all that stuff. BS. This is a, this is the same company that owns Whole Foods that told their employees, hey, if one of your um, colleagues is sick. Maybe you should think of donating your sick time. Like, come on, man. You can't trust the leaders when it comes. You can't trust the leaders. You can't trust the managers when it comes to something like this. They're never going to tell you what's wrong. And I'm going to end this by, by saying just one additional thing. Okay? Once again, if what Jason Schreier was reporting, if what these this employee is saying uh, about people crunching and working an average 85 hours a week since May of 2019... Right. If this reporting was untrue, the 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 studio head, I'm sorry, I have to look up his name, Adam Badowski, would be vehemently denying these things. He would be the one coming forward. The CEOs at, at, at CD Project would be the ones coming forward and saying, no, this is a complete lie. This is not true. We've never forced crunch. When we had that uh, interview with uh, Jason Schreier Kotaku, we said, we're not going to force people to crunch. We, we've kept to that. We can prove it. This is slander, blah, blah. This. Why haven't they said that? Like, think about it. Like, why haven't you said that? If I'm running a business, right? If I'm, if I'm running a t-shirt company out of my, uh, you know, out of a warehouse and someone puts out a story saying that, oh, my t-shirts are actually manufactured, in, in a jungle and the average age of one of my employees is seven years old, right? It, it, if that's not true, am I not going to step forward and say, no, this is not true and I'm going to prove to you that it isn't true? Isn't that what you would do to defend your company if you know someone is putting out a complete lie or fabrication in terms of the way that you run your company? That in and of itself is absolute proof that this is happening and what cyberpunk and some of these other, some of these journalists that a lot of these fans look up to and follow and, 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 you know, uh, are influenced by are, are turning a blind eye. They're being willfully ignorant to what's happening because you can praise cyberpunk and you can say, man, this looks like an amazing game, but in the same sentence say, man, I really don't like what these people are doing and just keep bringing it up. What's wrong with, with continually bringing it up? You have people that are working 100-hour work weeks. I can't keep bringing this up every time I talk about cyberpunk. Of course I can, right? They're not mutually exclusive. Now, that leads us into our next story, which is uh, kind of a little bit concerning crunch also. Um, but it, it, it actually has to do with Sega and their release of a Golden Axe prototype. Uh, actually, I think this prototype actually went live 
today, but they announced it a few days ago. So as part of their 60th anniversary, Sega has been releasing these games on Steam. They're available only for a limited time. And one of their releases is a prototype level of their unreleased Golden Axe 2.5D remake, and they called it Golden Axed, a canceled prototype. Now, in the official Steam description, Sega wrote, quote, we reached out to some of the original development team to bring this dusty gem to light, and they are proud that this project could be revived in some form to be shared with you, the fans. Now, with that statement being uh, told, <laughs> right right under it should be that uh, that classic Tyler, the creative meme, where he says, well, that was a fucking lie, because immediately after the game was this was posted on stream with the description, original programmer Tim Dawson and designer Sanatana Mishra both told Kotaku they were never contacted by Sega, and the first they heard of the demo being released was seeing it on Steam yesterday. So Sega saying that they reached out to some of the original development team. You probably would want to reach out to the original programmer and the original designer. So obviously that's probably a lie. Now also part of the Steam description reads, quote, Golden Axed may be janky, maybe buggy, may be an artifact of its time, but it offers a unique glimpse into the prospect of a project that could have been and a rare peek behind the curtain at the sometimes, and I'm going I'm to put an emphasis, the sometimes tumultuous world of video game development. Once again, the PR spin. This is what these companies want you to think. They want you to think, oh, you know, it's janky, it's buggy, and, you know, sometimes development can be a little bit tumultuous. You know, they're always going to put that. They're always going to sprinkle the sugar on it. But once again, Tyler, the creator meme, well, that was a fucking lie. Here comes Tim Dawson uh, tweeted out this entire thread on his uh, Twitter, and one of the first things was, uh, him referring to his project as his, quote, personal nexus of nightmare hours, inept management, industry realizations, and heroics achieved with a small team under unreasonable conditions. So it's an odd feeling to see it surface eight years later without context, credits, and with a joke title sequence. So that was another thing that a lot of gamers are discovering now that they're playing the game. There are no credits. They do not credit any of the original team that had to put in work in order to make this happen. And, um, you know, Tim Dawson, his Twitter is at ironic account. And uh, I'll um, put a link to this uh, thread on my on my uh, personal Twitter at we are Joel. Uh, so you can read through it because it, it's kind of a lot. And he just talks about the crunch conditions that they had to endure in order to make something like this happen. I think he said that that in order to create this, it was like a vertical slice, basically to prove that this could work to upper management. He um, he claimed that they had to do this in under two weeks. And he talks about putting in, I think, like 12 to 14 hour days in order to make this happen. Uh, here we go. I had been working 14 hours days, but I went home on time that day. And then I think that was a day that he talked about showing it off um, to upper management in a meeting. And he showed it off. And the first thing they asked was, where was the wow factor? And it was just all a bunch of uh, complaints and how it just wasn't good and, and this, that, and the third. But obviously, I mean, you only gave the guys two weeks. And he also mentioned something at the end that I think is very, very important when it comes to crunch. And this is one of the reasons why I, I always bring up that th this whole talk about bonuses and extra pay, all of that doesn't mean anything. There are a lot of things that money cannot buy. And this is one of the things when he brought up at the end of this um, thread, he wrote, 
I felt dead inside, not just because of a couple of long seven-day work weeks and the start of the RSI in my right arm that would go on to jeopardize development of, of Android Cactus, which was a game that he had developed, but because I had no trust left in the people who ran things. And uh, I had looked up what um, RSI was, and it stands for Repetitive Strain Injury. So once again, I said, when you overwork yourself, you, you, you create permanent injuries, and, and not just physical, but mental, emotional, that you will be carrying on, not just for you, but your family will have to carry on going forward. And you think Sega is going to pay this guy's, you know, uh, bills when it comes to these injuries no of course they're not going to be doing that right once he moves on from the company hey the injuries you accrued here because you had to work 14 hours a day that has nothing to do with us now right so this is kind of the 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 center of this crunch culture is just the fact that these injuries that you create will be with you for the rest of your life Especially here in America, we know how absolutely awful the healthcare system is um, here in, in the United States of America. The amount of money that's going to go into uh, rehabilitation of these issues that you accrue while crunching, working 85 hours a, a week on these games, you know, you, you, you're just not going to get that back. It's simple and plain. And uh, Sega then apologized and they removed the part of the description that says, you know, that that talks about how the game is janky and buggy and all this stuff. But the game is still up. You can still download it. There still are no credits. Sega didn't amend that as, as far as the recording of this podcast. They're going to amend that by saying, hey, these are the people that worked on it. Um, and you know, this is why I, I keep bringing this up. You know, you have to stop defending companies. You have to stop defending these CEOs and these managers because... All they care about is the bottom line. That's all they care about. The only way to become a millionaire and definitely a billionaire uh, in the year 2020 is you have to step on other people. That's the only way. If you're standing on a, uh, on, on a mountain, the mountain is not made of money. The mountain is made of bodies, of the people that you have to step on and crush in order to attain that top. Like I said, the person who is, I think the CEO or the owner or the, the studio head of CDPR is a billionaire. You do not get there um, by being super duper nice and letting and, and being okay with delaying games and 40 hours and screw the shareholders. It's about the, 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 uh, the employees. And here's another company showing you that. Stop defending these companies defend the employees now moving on to one of our first stories which was a phil spencer kataker interview I, I definitely am uh super late right now with 34 minutes in um and steven totillo had uh interviewed phil spencer and a couple interesting things came out of it um he did believe he does believe uh uh, Phil Spencer believes that demand will outstrip supply for Xbox Series X at launch, which is something we've already been seeing. But he believes the S will outsell the X over time. He said, quote, I think over the generation, our expectation will be that price really matters and that you will see the Series S sell more. And I have, have to 100% agree. I mean, $299. I mean, I still can't get over that price point. $300 next generation console. And yes, it's not you know, super shiny and it doesn't have, you know, the same specs 
as the Xbox Series X, but I love the choice that Microsoft is introducing into this um, development cycle. You know, it, it just reminds me of, of PC gaming. Like, yeah, you can, if you have the money, you can go out and get that $700, you know, um, NVIDIA 3080, for example. But, you know, $300 might get you a, a, a decent card to play these latest games. They're just obviously not going to look as shiny as new. And it's something that we've seen from PC gaming for a while. So it's interesting to see that kind of cross over a bit into um console gaming he also reiterated that he's not worried about the power differences between the, the 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 two he brought up pc as an example and he also acknowledged something that we've already known which is the additional labor that is put on developers to design for the s and x where he said quote absolutely it is work there's no doubt about that the fact that you have two performance specs now i'm not going to stand here or try to pr somebody and say two different specs is the same as having one spec it's not we're doing this because we want to expand the market and i think that's the key thing because a lot of the people that are bringing up the development differences between developing for xbox and playstation really are these playstation stands i want to bring up yet another negative when it comes to xbox and talk about all the troubles of developing for the s and the x and having different specs and the fact that you know games probably aren't going to be as ambitious as they should be i feel like that's just like a super negative uh pin on the side excuse that these playstation stands want to have and i i just always bring up pc gaming as an example when you're developing a pc game you have to take into account a lot of different setups. You have to take into account whether someone has 64 gigs of RAM, possibly all the way down to 8 gig and everything in between. And they have graphics cards and different CPUs. You know, if developers can do that on PC, we're talking about two different specs on here. I just don't think it's that big of an issue. And I think the risk is, is one that I would take because once again, you are doing this to expand the market. Uh, to be able to introduce a console at $299, you know, it's it's a good bridging of the gap between casual and core gamers, which is something that we've only seen really from Nintendo. Nintendo has kind of been at the forefront of not having this cutting edge check, but because it's so accessible in terms of their pricing, they're able to expand the market. And we've seen that happening with the Nintendo Switch, and we've seen that happening with the Nintendo Switch Lite. And here comes another major player that you know microsoft and and he even acknowledged uh phil spencer acknowledged uh that quote hey let's make sure we've got something to catch a second console owner in terms of the series s he acknowledges that hey the series s might become a perfect second console for a playstation 5 user so if i'm a playstation 5 owner and i buy my playstation 5 for 400 or 500 i can get a series s for 300 pay that 15 dollars a month game pass and get you know, access to a lot of great third-party content and have access to these first-party games day one. You know, the Series S does make a perfect uh, second console, um, excuse me, a second console for owner of a PS5 or a, you know, Nintendo Switch. And on top of that, we also have to understand the prospect of the future, which is something I've been talking about on this show for quite some time, which is um, me predicting that absolutely at some point the Series S will be able to stream Series X games because once they they, they move over their X Cloud Blades from Xbox One X, which is what they are now, over to Xbox Series X, you'd be crazy if you're Microsoft to not offer 
um, a cloud solution and an and, and ability to give that option to Series S owners if you want to stream that Series X game and, and uh, you know, cut down on that uh, that barrier of entry. Another thing that was interesting was they asked him if it's possible to recoup a $7.5 billion investment if you don't sell Elder Scrolls 6 on the PlayStation. Spencer quickly replied, yes. I don't want to be flip about that. This deal was not done to take games away from another player base. Nowhere in the documentation that we put together was, how do we keep other players from playing these games? We want more people to be able to play games, not fewer people to be able to go play games. But I also say in the model, I'm just answering directly the question that you had. When I think about where people are going to be playing and the number of devices that we had, and we have xCloud and PC and Game Pass, I don't have to go ship those games on any other platform other than the platforms that we support in order to make the deal work for us, whatever that means. Now, a lot of people looked at this as like a line in the sand. And I guess the way that you interpret it means every future game coming from these studios is going to be exclusive or not. And I, I don't think it's 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 that simple. I think it's we're going to go... Uh, according to exactly what Phil Spencer had said when this deal first broke, which is it's, it's it will be taken on a case by case basis. And I had brought this up when I first talked about it on the show where, yeah, I could see them doing exclusivity windows for some of these games. Others, I could definitely see them being 100% exclusive to the Xbox ecosystem. For example, the upcoming Starfield, if I'm Microsoft, I'm probably not allowing that to go on, onto any other console because it's a brand new intellectual property. Now, if we're talking about Skyrim, let's be honest, there'll definitely be Skyrim on these next generation systems. Do I keep Skyrim away from the PlayStation users? Personally, no, I don't. Because Skyrim is, is a game that is, is just a remaster. It's already been established on PlayStation. Why not uh, do a launch window? Uh, on top of that, if, if you're a, an Xbox user, and you own both consoles, you still have a value proposition because this game is coming on to Game Pass, right? So I think I think they will continue taking this on a case-by-case -case basis. If a next-gen version of Fallout 76 comes out, do I not give PlayStation users the next-gen upgrade? It just, you know, honestly, it just doesn't make any sense. And I think, it, you know, they set a precedent with what they did with Minecraft. They could have very easily kept Minecraft on just Xbox and PC, but they understood that that was not the right play to make. And you know what? They were 100% right about that. So I think we will continue to see them taking it on a case-by-case -case basis. I think there are certain games that they're going to understand that, hey, you know what? The next Fallout it probably makes more sense keeping on Xbox and PC. And I think that makes that, that that's understandable. Other games, you know, maybe if there's like a next Doom, do I keep that from PlayStation? Maybe they won't. And obviously we'll just have to uh, kind of wait and see. Um, the other interesting thing that, 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 that he brought up was he was talking about Halo Infinite being considered to be shipping separately, multiplayer and single player. This is one of those things that I'm like, they will be crazy to not separate the two. I think they should definitely focus on bringing multiplayer out first, especially since uh, they already confirmed that it will be free to play. You do not need to own Game Pass or do you, you do not need to buy Halo Infinite in order to play Halo Infinite's multiplayer. I think that's the best move that they can make because I think it will make waiting for that single player so much easier uh, for other players, especially if they do it that way and not the other way around. I definitely would not bring single player out without multiplayer. I don't think it makes any sense, but I think it would make a lot of sense to put the multiplayer out first. That way you get kind of the esports involved. You get these teams being built. You get these big name uh, competitive players getting into it. And, and that conversation of Halo 
you know, people will be talking about Halo for years, you know, maybe even one year until the single player comes out, everything will be fine. So I really hope that they consider that. They also have brought up something that I thought was interesting where he said it doesn't feel sustainable to consider Xbox games on a case by case basis for Switch. He said, quote, in order to really support it, I would want a full Xbox ecosystem and somewhere. And that probably means things like live and Game Pass and stuff like that. I found that quote to be very, very interesting because I felt that the relationship that they had with Nintendo was working um, in terms of that case by case basis of bringing letting um, the previously Xbox Microsoft published Cuphead come to switch the two Ori games coming to switch um, and and. Phil Spencer was very transparent when he said that it was the developers of Cuphead and the developers of Ori, which is Moon Studios, coming to Xbox with that desire of like, hey, we would really love our games to be on Switch and allowing that to happen. And obviously the fact that we have Steve and Banjo-Kazooie on Super Smash, for example, I think that relationship with Nintendo will only continue to grow. Like I sort of understand what he means by it doesn't feel sustainable in terms of introducing a game into an ecosystem for another, for another um uh, you know, another platform without regularly putting um, something on there. I guess I kind of understand what he means. Uh, and I've said this on the show before a bunch of times, Nintendo absolutely needs to allow uh, Game Pass on the Switch. Without a doubt, they need to work out a deal. I think that's one of the most mutually beneficial deals that those two companies can have. And I, I 100% think that this is, it's really up to Nintendo to flip that switch. And I absolutely 100% think that uh, they should. And he also brought up the prospect of definitely they are aiming for one day. If you own an Xbox one, being able to stream Xbox series S excuse me, X, uh, but he put it behind PC and iOS in terms of priorities. We already know that xCloud, they're working on bringing xCloud to PC, um, bringing it to iOS via web browser. Um, and I'm very interested in that web browser because I, I, I'm, I'm curious if PlayStation 5 ships with a web browser. I think the PS4 has a web browser. Can I access xCloud games through the PlayStation web browser? Because I think that would be extremely funny if you could do it. And I think it would. the only way... It will be stopped is maybe if PlayStation stopped it. Um, so I think that would kind of be kind of an interesting backdoor. I could definitely see PlayStation saying, no, 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 there's no way we're going to let this happen and somehow blocking it um, off of their uh, browser. Um, and then he briefly talked about Rare reviving old franchises and kind of it being up to them, uh, which I thought was really, really interesting. Um but yeah, all in all, I think it was a, a, a really good conversation. The biggest thing that people brought out of it was the Bethesda thing. Once again, I think that they will be kind of, you know, just doing it on a on a case-by-case uh, -case basis. Uh, and now moving on to uh, our story of the week, which is PlayStation. PlayStation showing off their UI and the PlayStation 8.0 update. Um, uh, I'll, I'll start off by saying that um, Sony has definitely shown within the last month that whatever employees they have in their internal PR, they need to figure that out <laughs> because their internal public relations has just been absolutely awful the last month. I think one of the strengths of being in PR and messaging is when you have an announcement to make or when something changes from the ecosystem of your product that you are ready for the potential of what's going to happen. So in PR, you have to be ready with, if I hit this button, and this update goes out, how do I expect 
my fan base to react. And PlayStation should have known exactly how the fan base was going to react when out of nowhere they turn on their PS4 and they're they're told that your voice chat may be moderated. So with this new update, it only affects users if you're chatting with a PlayStation 5 user. This is going to be a feature in the PlayStation 5 that Sony is adding where you will be able to, within a party chat, record a conversation and send it into Sony so they can moderate it and potentially ban someone because of their hateful speech. Now, Sony confirmed you're only able to record the most recent five minutes. You can only record, you can only um, upload 20 seconds of the conversation uh, and then 10 seconds before and after kind of explaining or giving a, a bit more context into what's happening. Now, of course, the moment that this came out, the meme started, a bunch of PS5 users started saying, this is ridiculous, Sony can hear our conversations, my chats aren't private anymore. And of course, this was ridiculous. Of course, this is not the case. I definitely, when I first heard, I was like, there's no way that Sony's just openly admitting that they're listening to your conversations. Uh, and of course, they weren't. But it was at that point, it was too late. It was Sony's responsibility to come forward and tell people right away, like, hey, there will be an update tomorrow. In this update, you're going to see something about voice chat moderation. Let me explain to you guys exactly what that means. Number one, this does not mean we listen to your conversations, right? But by the time Sony did that, which was their VP of Global Consumer Experience, Catherine Jensen, who had to publish a blog post, it was already too late. You know, it was a, it was a day after, which in, in internet terms is like 10 years, right? By that point, the memes were rampant. They were all over Twitter, all over Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, people making fun of PlayStation listening in. And, and I think the common meme was me and my boys going to jail after Sony listened to, to what we said, the party chat. At that point, it was too late. And even now, even after uh, this rebuttal that they made, people are still on Twitter believing that Sony listens into their conversations like that's it the message is out of their hands and if I'm at Sony I'm pissed I am angry at whoever is in my PR marketing department because they absolutely dropped the ball when it comes to this because honestly this isn't as big of a deal as people are making it out to be first of all you can only record uh your party chat which means if you trust the people in your party, then it doesn't matter. This only really affects if you are stupid enough to invite another player into your party to insult them or curse them out. Uh, you know, that's really the only way this is going to affect. And honestly, this warning is enough to stop those people. This warning is enough to stop people from finishing a match, inviting someone into a party chat and cursing them out. Now, this might be enough to make those people think twice and say like, man, I, I can't do this anymore because if I do this, this person could just record my conversation and report to Sony what I said. Uh, the second thing about this is that this can backfire on PlayStation very, very fast. So because effectively what they've done by allowing people to um, send them audio and open cases uh, that go to a consumer experience team that then have to sit down and listen to this and then make a judgment call on what to do with that affected player, is that essentially PlayStation users can now use this to hold PlayStation ransom <laughs> and basically force changes. And I'll give you, I'm going to give you guys an example. Let's say for uh, PlayStation does something now that's, that PlayStation fans do not like. Uh, 
And this is actually an update that they do not like. Apparently now, party charts are a lot harder to put together. Now, we'll preface this by saying that I don't think in the entire time I've owned my PlayStation 4, I've ever been a part of a single party chat. And the reason why is because I do not use my PlayStation for multiplayer. Use it for single player games. I plug my PlayStation in, play that single player game that just dropped. You know, recently it was Ghost of Tsushima. Finish the game and I unplug my PlayStation and it's put in my closet because it's not my regular system, right? So they don't like this update because apparently it's extra steps in order to create a party chat. They don't like this new system. Some some sort of changing with messaging and, and groups and things like that, right? If you're PlayStation users, you can essentially start a Reddit thread right now and tell people, hey, on September, you know, on December 12th is PlayStation Day. And what we're going to do is that we I want you guys to open up a party chat with your friends and I want you guys to pray. And they're going to pick a prayer or or I want you guys to sing uh you know Hakuna Matata for 20 seconds and I want you to upload that as a complaint to PlayStation. And what's going to happen? Their moderation team is going to be overwhelmed by all these complaints and it, guess what? They're going to have to sit through and they're going to have to listen to it. But they have to adhere to their own terms of service. Which means that unless in expressing the terms of services says that you can't abuse this this functionality or, or you can't make what you would, would what you would deem a false report because they could just say like look I was offended you know this guy started singing Hakuna Matata and I think that this 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 song is offensive because of this 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 right <laughs> this could very easily completely backfire on Sony when it comes to this because this is kind of the era that we live in because you know groups can be formed so easily on Reddit or on Facebook to do exactly this to overall this system I say hey December to um, December 15th is F Sony day. And this is what we're going to do, you know? So I, I could definitely see this kind of going bad for them. But I think the, 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 the most basic thing that has been taken away from this PlayStation needs to do a much better job with their messaging. Because once again, I actually don't think this is that big of a deal. I do think that it will curb a lot of people doing exactly what I just mentioned, you know, inviting people into party jazz just to curse them out and, you know, say derogatory things about them. Um, but also this will not have a sweeping change because as far as what we what we know, this does not um, affect VOIP, which is voice over IP, which are just generic chats and like Call of Duty, for example, which is really where the issue lies, right? That won't affect something like that. This only affects party chat. Once again, if you trust the people in your party chat, I mean, who's really going to snitch? Who's going to be sus and something like that? I'd be pretty pissed off if my account gets locked because of a friend of mine decided to report something I said as a joke, you know? And then, and then that's the other thing is that how much power does Sony have right now? Their moderation team can basically lock your account, you know, lock you out of hundreds of dollars you just spent on your digital only PlayStation 5. They can lock you out of those $400 that you spent on digital games because you maybe made a, a, a dark humor type of joke or maybe said something tongue-in-cheek and maybe someone in that party was was a friend of a friend that you don't really know and decided to report you and now as a sony moderator you have to understand context you know you have to to make this judgment call of was this person really being malicious was it tongue-in-cheek was it a joke I just feel like it's kind of Sony has too much power when it comes to something like that. Um, and that's kind of my two cents about it. Uh, 
Now we're going to move on to the PlayStation 5 UI. I'm way over time. Please stick with me. I know I usually like to keep these episodes to one hour, but uh, obviously talked a little bit too much about uh, crunch. Uh, but moving forward, la- you know, last week we finally got our first look at the PlayStation 5's uh, UI or user interface. So for those that don't know, UI, the user interface, is really the layout of uh, the way you interact with with a, a systems op- or with a a um, products operating system. So for your iPhone, for example, the way the icons look, the way the windows, everything, that's the user interface. And then there's the UX, which is the user experience, which is um, the actual action of navigating uh, that user interface. Uh, so those are really the two things that we're going to talk about. And I will preface this by saying, uh, first and foremost, I absolutely dislike PlayStation's UI and the UX. I think it's absolutely awful. I've been saying this for generations. The PS3, when they first introduced the cross-media bar, I actually kind of liked it. But the issue that I've always had with Sony, and they committed it with PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4, is that they do not listen to, to feedback throughout those years. They don't really do a good enough job of un- taking that feedback and changing it. You know, if you boot up the, play- the PlayStation 3 at launch and the PlayStation 3 at the end of its uh, cycle, it's pretty much the same exact thing, where I can't really say the same thing for Xbox. When it comes to the 360 and the Xbox One, I think they gathered a lot of feedback and they're constantly changing it and speeding up the interface and the UX. Um, I-, I just, I honestly do, I, I don't want to use the word hate, but I do not like the PlayStation's UI and the UX. Uh, now, with that being said, definitely 100%, this is like a night and day difference. Without a doubt, this is an, a, an absolute improvement over what we've seen with PlayStation uh, PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 3. But obviously, we're going to talk about comparing it to the PS4. I definitely love the cleaner look. I love that the games are you know, front and center. I love what, when the system is booted up, you're not booted into the home menu. You boot it in straight into the game. Uh, and the game is kind of front and center. Absolutely love that. That's definitely something I would love to see Microsoft do. Um, Microsoft is different. When you boot up, you go straight into the menu. Kind of like that is really about the games. You know, the games are front and center. Um, <clears throat> and I like that PlayStation. It's almost like, predicting the behavior of gamers which is if i'm booting up my system is to play the it's, it's to get into the last game that i played more time than not that's probably why i'm turning on my playstation right now so i like that the games pop up first i think that was a really really good decision uh they made it much easier to see online friends and parties uh one of the biggest things that i absolutely disliked about the playstation 4 is that when you hit that playstation button uh, the, you go straight to the home menu. It takes up the entire screen. There's no quick context sensitive actions that you can take. Um, that's something I've always loved about the Xbox one. I can hit my Xbox one button and you know, that side console comes up and from there I can quickly start a party, uh, respond to a message, see my friends, look at my achievements, track achievements, just very, very quick context sensitive things that you can do. Uh, I love that PlayStation has brought that up. I I actually kind of really like that it's at the bottom. I kind of, when when I was looking at it, I I thought to myself, man, would this have been better coming off from the side instead of the bottom? But honestly, I kind of do like that that, that, uh, quick menu is at the bottom and just, you know, the small icons. I actually really, really, um, did like that. 
Um, so one of the first things that they talked about, uh, this was a state of play. Uh, there was like, what, seven, eight minutes, something like that. First thing they talked about was the most prevalent change that you see, which are cards. So the cards appear to be context sensitive, which I really liked. You know, if you look at, if you pay attention to that video, when uh, they boot up the console, the discover card is at the front and the most recent capture is, is right next to it. And then you see activities, which is something we'll talk about shortly. But I like that when they brought that menu down, they brought it back up again. You'll notice that the first card is no longer the discover. The second card is no longer your most recent capture. It's your activity card. So I really love that because it shows that this menu is smart. It's not really just set in stone. I really like that because... Um, the other question that I had was, can I turn these cards off? Can I just turn off that discover card? I personally don't see, um, that discover card being a lot of, I, I don't see myself getting a lot from it, you know, because a lot of my news I get off Twitter. I'm really up to date with gaming news. I couldn't understand it bring, bringing value to a few people, but to me, it wouldn't bring any value. So I hope that I can turn certain cards off. Um, because one thing that I didn't like was that I love that you get that uh, small menu at the bottom, but I didn't like that the cards kind of dominate the screen. I would love to kind of just continue seeing the game uh, in the background. So one of the first things that they brought up were activities, which are cards that show new ways to interact with games. It can also alert um, you to how long it will take to complete a certain activity. Um, I would, I am curious to know what, what that timer is based on. So they showed a timer that said, oh, this activity will take you about 10 minutes to complete. I wonder if that's based on a global average of players, basically calculating how long it took uh, every player to finish this activity and then calculating an average, or is it machine learning? It actually is dependent upon the player. So since I'm just really good at video games, it might say seven minutes for me, but if it's a newer gamer and the system recognizes based upon, I don't know, how many trophies you have. Is it a new PlayStation ID, for example? How many games have you played? How long did it take you to finish the last level? Maybe for you, it'll it'll say 20 minutes. I really hope that that's the way that that timer um, is because if it's not, if it's just a global average, then to me, that timer is completely useless. It's not really going to be a realistic way of telling me how long it's going to take me to finish that level because I move definitely a lot faster than a lot of gamers that uh, I know, um, I, I, I kind of don't know how to feel about these activities. And the reason why is because these types of features, and this is one of the things I, 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 I realized when hearing about a lot of people's reactions to this UI, I felt like a lot of it was kind of dependent a lot of it is developer dependent. And this is one of the things that a lot of people brought up like, oh, these activities are, are, are super cool. I kind of don't think that they're cool for the specific reason is that I need to know, are these mandatory? So when you send a game in for approval to PlayStation or Xbox, for example, trophies and achievements are mandatory. As part of your approval process, you must have achievements, you must have trophies, or your game will not be approved to be put on that system. I would like to know, are activities also part of this new list? Is Sony going to developers and saying, hey, along with trophies, you also must have a minimum number of activities to put into your game? If they don't have that, then to me, these activities are kind of 
I, I, I kind of don't know what to think about them because now as a as a as a platform, PlayStation is telling these developers, I want you to put some extra work in to creating these cards. All right, so now your budget's going to go up. Uh, your 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 work is going to be stretched. Just maybe it's not by much, but it's still something additional that you now have to do, right? Um, and I think as a developer, my first thing is going to be like, well, what do I get out of this? Because these activity cards don't seem to be geared towards core gamers. That's what trophies are for. Trophies are there for core completionists. These activity cards seem to be more geared towards people who just want to get into a level in and out quickly, which doesn't really matter for console gaming. That's not really how people play console games. No one sits down to play a console game for, for 10, 15 minutes, right? So that's not it. Um, when you click on an activity, it, it quickly pushes you into a level. It'll kind of load it in uh, very quickly, which I actually really liked. I like that feature. Um, so, so then you're saying, well, this is more for the casual crowd. But then as a developer, I'm thinking to myself, if I put this time and money into creating these activities, is there proof that this will extend the playtime of a person playing my game? Because that's what Microsoft was able to do with achievements. They were able to prove to developers that, hey, if you add achievements to your game, people are going to want to keep your game longer. And that's just a fact, right? When you finish the game, achievements are an amazing incentive to make you play the game again or go back to levels and get things you missed. And it allows developers to create incentives to play a game in a different way than you were playing it previously because it tells you to beat this game without, you know, beat this level without shooting a single shot, go through it completely stealth. So it's like the developer getting you to replay a level because you're playing it in different ways. So I think this activity thing, I'm personally not excited about it because I need to know a few things. Number one, will every first party game releasing day one have this? Because that's important. If 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 I'm PlayStation and I'm launching uh, Astrobot, Spider-Man, Demon Souls, uh, Sackboy, and Destruction All-Stars, I have five first party games. If I launch PlayStation 5 November 12th and each of those games does not have activities, then what I'm proving to developers is if I'm a developer, I'm like, look, not even Sony put activities into their own games. Why would I want to do this? So I'm hoping that Sony is understanding that they have to do this for Spider-Man. They have to do it for Demon's Souls also because that's the only way to really sell this feature to other developers. If not, as a developer, I'm not putting any of my time into this. And that kind of goes into a lot of these cool features that PlayStation showed, which is like, yeah, they're cool. And I want to be excited and very positive or receptive to these changes and these additions. But at the end of the day, as a gamer, or excuse me, as a person who understands, you know, that that speaks on the side of the industry, I'm also saying to myself, well, this is totally dependent on developers unless Sony is saying that these are you know, requirements that you, you're forced to do this, which honestly, I kind of just don't see Sony doing that. Um, now it looks like there will also be ways to track trophy progression, but there was no mention on whether or not devs can add game help. Excuse me. Hold on. I'm, I'm jumping up ahead on this. Uh, sorry. Uh, along with activity cards, they also showed a card that shows that you can, uh, track the progression of a trophy, which is a feature that PlayStation has definitely been missing um, that 
Microsoft added to achievements in the middle of Xbox One's cycle, which I absolutely love, that you can um, uh, track achievements and pin achievements. Maybe there's one that you're particularly focusing on. This is something that Sony hasn't done. And once again, this is the one thing I don't like about Sony is that their user experience, they really need to focus on that. Uh, throughout this generation, something that they didn't do for PS3 and PS4 is really coming up with updates. So I'm glad that they're finally doing this. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, moving on to the next thing, they, they showed that some PS5 games also have in-game help. And I think they um, called this, shoot, my notes are all over the place. I think they're just calling it game help. And uh, a few things, they only showed this for an activity. They did not show if trophies will also be able to do this. But man, if you're going to bake in this feature, I mean, there's no way that as Sony, you would not allow these videos to be in trophies. I feel like that's really where the value lies. Um, but they showed this feature that you can get hint images and videos that you can actually physically pin on the screen. And uh, I really, really like this feature. So... A few things I like is number one is that the developer can control a way to use images and text to give you a hint as to where this, you know, secret coin is hidden in this level without expressly telling you where it is. That I really, really like because I, the, the, the best thing about games is being able to discover things on your own, but sometimes you need a, a, a nudge. And I like that this does this rather than going on YouTube where they're going to show you the exact solution, right? Um, and then I also like that you can pin kind of a short video and just kind of follow it along if you want. The example that they showed was Sackboy. Um, this is once again another feature um, that I don't know how many developers are actually going to use this. Because at the end of the day, it's now extra work. Once again, it's, it's, it's extra work from a developer and the difference between this and activities is that now as a developer and a publisher, I'm putting extra work and resources into something that is already readily available for pretty much every person that's, that, that owns a PlayStation 5. If you, can, if, you, if you can afford a $500 PlayStation 5, you have a PC or a phone that has access to YouTube. And yeah, I understand that this is running joke about finding a guy on YouTube and it's starting off with, yo, what's up? Smash that like button and, you know, all this BS and stuff like that. Um, but there are many resources. And one of my favorites is Power Picks, Power P-Y-X, uh, that have videos on YouTube that show you how to get trophies and, and, and achievements without none of that, that, that stuff. It's very straight to the point, especially Power Picks. That's why I love using uh, uh, that particular channel. Um, they will, they will quickly show you exactly how to unlock a trophy without any of that fluff. Uh, they're also written up. The guy, you know, puts up maps and stuff like that. And these resources are available like day one because people like power picks get the game two weeks early and they're, they're generating these videos and editing them. And usually within 40 hours of the game's release, you already know, you can already find out how to get every achievement, have every trophy. And I'm sure those people will be doing the same for these activities. So if I'm a developer, what is my incentive to do this? On top of that, PlayStation now, PlayStation confirmed that this feature is exclusive to PlayStation Plus. So now you're cutting the, 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 uh, uh, 
the demographic of people that will have access to these video, access to these images by a lot. You know, there's 120 million PS4s, and I think less than half of those people have PlayStation Plus. So that's kind of another reason for me as a developer. And this is personally coming from a person who never bought PlayStation Plus because, once again, I don't play multiplayer on PlayStation. So for me, it's like, do I get PlayStation Plus just to get these hint videos? Is that an incentive? Nah, it, it just really isn't. So um, there's still a lot of questions, and I see a lot of people getting excited by stuff like this. I'm not ready to be excited by it because I'm not sure how many developers are going to be using this because I would love this. Hell yeah, I would love if I'm if I'm trying to find a trophy or if I'm missing, you know, a, a particular uh, collectible in a level, I would love to not have to pull out my phone, have to do a YouTube search in order to find something. I would love it just coming straight from, from the developer, being able to give me a hint instead of, uh, the exact answer, or if I still can't get it, just showing me a video. I would love that. But once again, are developers going to want to do this? And it's like, look, if if I'm a, a publisher, you know, if if, if I'm a, a a director, if I'm a designer, and I'm running this team, honestly, I would say no. I, I if I would calculate the budget and I'll say, okay, it would cost me this much more money, this many more, this many more. Uh, uh, hours for my employees in order to do something like this, as opposed to the alternative, which is asking the consumers to pull out their phone. Like all your, all I'm saving the consumer is maybe 60 seconds of their time. And the ROI of the extra money is going to take me to make these. It probably doesn't balance out. So I'm kind of curious to see how these things uh, work out. So I'm not saying it's not cool. It is cool, but I also have to bring up uh, these other things. Uh, one thing that I, I hope that they add to the UI is that if I could stack cards, I really don't like that um, when you pull up that menu, a lot of the cards are kind of all the way to the right. So I think at one point they showed a party invite, but then when they brought up the, uh, the I think they call it the control center, the control center uh, by pressing the PlayStation button, that's invite was kind of all the way to the right but then sometimes it would show up to the left and if it's all the way to the right you have to click through like six activity cards so i kind of hope that you can stack them so it'd be great if i hit my playstation button and the activity cards are stacked so if i click then if i click that stack then the cards open up because i i want to look at activities or if i open it up then there's a stack for invites or a stack for party chats um i also kind of wish that they implemented a system where the cards were overlaid all over the screen because the cards are so big, I can't see the game behind them. So why not just lay them on a grid of like two rows, for example? I think that would also be kind of cool or, or at least kind of giving me the option I think would be great. Uh, they also introduced something called screen share where you can share a screen uh, with another player. Um, I, I I kind of don't know how to respond to this because on one hand, I think it's cool, but then the other hand, I don't see how often I would use this. I, I kind of think that we'll have to wait till post-release to see how gamers use this to see if there's a really neat way to do something like this. Um, because I think right now, maybe for multiplayer, it might be kind of cool to see someone else. But if someone invites me to a party and we're chatting, I'm not going to... You know, and maybe we're playing different games. Maybe I'm playing Demon Souls. My friend is playing Spider-Man. Unless they're telling me like, 
yo, check out this cool thing I just found in Spider-Man and they want to show me the screen. I'm not going to be actively chatting with someone while their game is running unless there's an expressed reason uh, for something like that. So I think it depends on what the applications are. It just kind of reminds me of when Stadia was talking about Ghost Recon being able to overlay uh, your squad mates, but they were talking about having like four at a time. And it looks like with this feature, it's only one. Uh, so it's kind of cool for like really quick things like, oh, let me show you this thing. But then, you know, you can always just record that and send it. So um, this is kind of cool, but I'm not understanding the application of it. I, I, I personally kind of can't see it. It sort of reminds me a little bit of what Xbox did when Xbox One first launched. If everyone remembers where you can kind of have a video running at the same time as you're playing a game. And then I remember doing that and like watching uh, a TV show while playing a game. And very quickly, I realized like, this is kind of dumb. I don't want to be doing two things at once. So personally for me, I don't see myself getting much uh, use out of it, but it, it is kind of cool. And I like that it shows off, hey, this is something with the SSD that is possible now that wouldn't be possible before. And I think that was kind of the overall presentation of this UI, just how fast, how snappy everything was. It's not just a testament to the overhaul that Sony did, but I think it's also a testament of kind of finding new and unique ways to use the SSD. The fact that you can pin videos anywhere on the screen, I really, really um, did like that. Um, they showed off being able to go into a game through a party, how quick that game switching was, which I think, think was kind of cool. That's something that I thought PlayStation 4 already did. Maybe they already did. That, that's something that Xbox already does. I'm not sure if PlayStation 4 did it, but I think that's... Uh, really good, especially with the SSD being able to switch from one game to another. And I think it was another kind of way for Sony to show incentivizing buying digital games, which I kind of like. Um, they also showed off the create button, which you can use to capture images and videos. One thing I did not like was that when you use a capture button, it shows like this big giant black bar at the bottom. So it kind of, you're not able to see exactly what the photo is going to look like until after you take it. So I hope that's like a minor change. I think either making that smaller or just making that black bar translucent, just turn that um, opacity so I can see it, uh, so I can completely see through it. So just a, a small change that I hope that they that they make. Uh, and then they showed what the PlayStation Home menu uh, looks like. I like that the games and media are separated now. Uh, I like that the store... This is, once again, an update that Sony should have done in the middle of PlayStation 4's life cycle. For those that are not PlayStation users, the PlayStation Store is not baked into the PlayStation um, system. So it's almost like a separate web page that you're accessing when you want to go into the PlayStation Store. It's just the worst experience ever. Absolutely hated it. This is something that PlayStation should have updated in the middle of PlayStation cycle at least it's finally happening, you know, where for the PlayStation 5, the store is actually a part of the system. Very, very welcome change. Definitely something that is long overdue. Um, I do not like that it is an icon. I do think that it should be integrated into the system. So at the top of the home menu, they show games, they show media. We did not see the media tab, but PlayStation confirmed that that's where your media lives. So that's where your Netflix, your Hulu, your Disney Plus is going to live. I do think that the store needs its own tab. I think the store is important enough, especially when we're talking about the fact that you guys are launching a digital only system. It should have its 
its own tab. It shouldn't just be an icon that you click. So I think that that should be one of their first updates. Um, and then they showed off their sharing feature, which is how you share a picture that you just took or a video that you just captured. Hands down, the most disappointing thing. Um, this is one thing that I really hoped that PlayStation was introducing in terms of a, a positive change to their ecosystem. So this is something that Microsoft has been doing for a while. And what I mean is a very, very easy way to share the media that you captured on your console. Um, they confirmed that you can only share to an approved social media platform. Twitter was the only example shown, which probably means that when this system launches, Twitter will be the only one that you can share to. Maybe they'll add Facebook um, and maybe Instagram later on. You can send it via message uh, to another user. Kind of cool that that the system now has voice dictation because, and especially now the, the controller has a built-in microphone. I think that was really cool. But Sony and Nintendo both lag behind Xbox when it comes to media sharing, even though all three of these companies have dedicated phone apps. You know, it just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, Microsoft has it set up. So if I take an image, if I record a video on my Xbox, you know, within a few seconds, I go to my Xbox app on my phone. It's there. I can save it to my camera roll on my iPhone. And then from there, I can do whatever the hell I want with that video or that picture. You know, when we talk about growing, it's so important. Sharing is so important in order to grow and advertise for your brand because it's free advertising. So I love that Microsoft makes it so easy because once I capture that video from there on my phone, I can share it to TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I can text it to someone. I can put it in a group chat, WhatsApp. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, and Sony and Nintendo both lag behind Xbox when it comes to this. One of the most annoying things about the Switch, I remember, was Animal Crossing, which is a game that, you know, is very you you, you want to sh share a lot of moments on that on on that on on Animal Crossing. You want to share a lot of photos and videos, but the fact that you can only share it to Twitter. Uh, I think Facebook is another one on Switch. I had a lot of people uh, back when Animal Crossing launched sending me videos of their phone recording their Switch screen or taking a photo of their phone uh, on their Switch because that was the easiest way to text me a photo so I can understand what they were talking about. But then again, Animal Crossing connects with your phone, <laughs> so it doesn't make any sense for there not to be an easier bridge. So I really, really hope that uh, Sony understands that they need to have an easier way to share media, uh, the same way that, that Xbox does. Um, overall, I like the user interface. I do think the user experience does. I, there, there are definitely things that when I looked at the presentation, as nice as the UI looks, I think the U user experience still has a little bit away to go. And I really hope that Sony follows in Microsoft's footsteps when it comes to updating that experience. You know, it's one thing that Sony has really lagged behind is, the, is these updates. If you look at the Xbox One, the way that the uh, UI and the UX are now compared to seven years ago, it's almost like two completely different systems. It's very, very important for you to get that feedback and upgrade that software. And I think that's why I really love the Microsoft user experience because it's so it's, it's so easy to redeem a code on Xbox or 
to go into the store to search for something to go straight into Game Pass to see what's new, to pin things and and, and get to what I most frequently uh, use. So I hope that Sony sees that because I really love the revamp that they did. I think they're off to a great start, but I'm not ready to sit here and say, that's it, they did it, job done, pack it up, let's move our, the people who worked on this, you can go to other projects, <laughs> like it's not done now. And I see a lot of, uh, I, I saw a lot of articles and people on Twitter saying, man, this is a game changer. I'm like, nah, you guys, whoa, 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 calm down. <laughs> it's like, slow down. You guys are getting way too hyped. There's still a lot of questions over what's happening uh, with this UI. I think it's, it's an amazing start. It looks great. I love that it's refreshed top to bottom. That's kind of one of the things that um, I don't like about the Xbox Series X. I understand that, you know, if the wheel ain't broke, don't fix it. But the Xbox Series X, that that user interface and that experience, it doesn't feel like this breath of fresh air. It doesn't feel like a brand new generation because they're using the same one as the Xbox. And as much as I like that Xbox One UI, I want something fresh, something new, something that really takes advantage of that solid state drive. That's something that's built, rebuilt from the ground up. And that's why I love that PlayStation did that Xbox did not do. The difference, though, is that I know that I can count on Xbox that within the next year or two years, that UI is going to be very, very different than the way it launched. I unfortunately do not feel the same for PlayStation because the last two generations, they did not do that. And the best example I can give is the PlayStation Store. The fact that it wasn't baked into the, um, the system from day one, I get it. I understand that. I understand why that might not have excuse me I understand why that might not have happened but at some point 3 4 years in you must have understood how important the store is to the future of your of the platform that should have definitely been changed at some point so I'm happy that they finally did it but I already see a few things with this UI that I'm like yeah there's just these small things when it comes to the user experience, I think that Sony could be doing much, much better. And like one of the examples I like to bring up with the PlayStation 4 is that when I go to install the game and PlayStation says, your hard drive is full, there's no button that takes me immediately into my uh, storage settings, right? I have to get out that dialog box, quit, 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 scroll, 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 settings, click, uh, device, click, uh, you know, storage click and then go from there. On Xbox, when something's full, there's a button I can press, click that takes me right into that menu where I can delete something, for example, right? So that's what I mean by user experience is asking, it's taking that feedback and saying, how can we make the navigation as easy as possible to get people back to what our system is built for, which is playing video games. So I like it. I really love what they did. I'm not knocking them. Uh, you know, when I first saw the PlayStation 4 UI, I did not like it, I'll be honest, because I felt like it was that same cross-media feel. Um, but this one, I feel very differently. This one, I feel like it's a breath of fresh air. It runs in full K. It looks amazing. It's very sharp. The animations, the way you go in and out of the cards, I thought was really, really amazing. I like that the games are front and center. You know, there's really beautiful art that kind of takes over the screen. But there are these, like I said, these small things that I noticed. And it's like, you see that extra click right there? You don't need that extra click. If you bring this menu up, 
and you change the context in terms of context sensitivity, you can make the navigation a lot, a lot better. So I'm hoping that this generation, PlayStation really takes that feedback. Hot releases, October 22nd, we have Torchlight 3 for Switch, the Red Lantern for PC and Switch. October 23rd, we have Transformers Battlegrounds, PC, PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. Supermarket Shriek for PC, PS4, and Switch. October 24th, we have a game that goes by the name Under coming for PC. Now time to wrap it up. There's actually only one uh, story on here. Last week, we heard about GameStop entering a multi-year strategic partnership with Microsoft, focused heavily on GameStop agreeing to use Microsoft's cloud-based infrastructure for its back-end sales system and for store associates to start using Microsoft Surface tablets. Buried in that announcement is a deal where GameStop will share in the lifetime digital sales revenue, including for full game downloads, DLC, and subscription plans for any Xbox consoles sold through its stores. This is crazy. So what, what, what we've learned is that at GameStop, every single time I sell an Xbox Series S or X, for the lifetime of that console, and we're talking about consoles, uh, life, shelf life is what, seven years of development, seven to 10 years? Throughout that timeline, every single time that user of that Xbox buys a game digitally, buys downloadable content digitally, subscribe to game pass xbox live go anything that has to do with games and services gamestop gets a kick a, a, a cut of that that's huge that's ridiculous now they did not talk about what the percentage is some people are throwing around 10 percent. hell no there's no way microsoft is going to give them 10 percent for the lifetime of, of a console uh some people are throwing around one percent honestly like i said we don't know my uh, look at it is less than 1%. I, I don't think Microsoft is offering them more than like 0.5% of every sale that's made. So that's like 50 cents to a dollar of like a, a $20 game or something like that, right? Um, I just don't see it being more than that. Uh, honestly, from a consumer standpoint and uh, a person in, in, in this industry, I don't like this. And the reason why is that I don't think that this means that GameStop is going to tell their managers, hey, guys, let's push Xbox uh, right now. But put yourself in GameStop shoes. You're selling a console for $299, that's $299 that is digital only. And you know that every time I sell that console, for the life of that console, I will get money. Maybe it's not buku dollars, but it's, it's still money. I'm going to want to sell that over a PlayStation 5 digital. And my fear is that I don't think that this means that GameStop is going to start sending emails out and telling their managers, hey, when someone wants a PlayStation 5, tell them to buy an Xbox. I don't think that's what's going to happen. But what this allows is it allows GameStop to, in other ways, kind of nudge consumers towards Xbox. And maybe it's changing the footprint of a store and, and having a bigger Xbox section, giving Xbox a more prominent uh, space on the front on the homepage of uh, the GameStop website. Um, more targeted email marketing for Xbox versus Sony and Nintendo. So I think that this opens kind of a dangerous precedent for GameStop, especially if we're going into the digital landscape. So I wonder if this puts Sony in a position where Sony's like, damn, are we going to have to start giving them a digital cut too? Because if I'm Sony and I'm Nintendo, I'm kind of worried a bit that you can find these small ways to nudge people towards Xbox. So I don't like the precedent that this sets, but you know all of this is theory. We'll kind of have to wait and see. GameStop and Microsoft are not really going to give us the details of this um, 
partnership. So we really don't know what the numbers are. So I guess we'll just have to uh, wait and see. Uh, shout out for the week goes out to Kinetic Games, which is developer behind the current phenomenon, Phasmophobia, which is an indie co-op psychological horror game that's kind of been on everyone's mind the last month. Over 70,000 people playing on Steam, peaked at around 150,000 people watching on Twitch. People are saying that this is kind of the next phenomenon this year. We have Fall Guys or the next indie phenomenon. We have Fall Guys, we had Among Us, and now it's Phasmophobia. I think Markiplier's has like YouTube videos with like 4 million views playing this game. The early access game is $13.99, which means it has already grossed almost a million dollars. But the biggest reason for this shout out is that Kinetic Games is actually a single developer. That's right. Only one person built this game. So to see this much success uh, from games like this and Among Us, which are really small teams. I think Among Us only had like four people working on it. This game only has a single sole developer. I think it's great. Um, to see these small games get so much uh, PR and word of mouth and be able to generate sales. Um, on top of that, within the next year, Twitch streamers are they're, they're definitely their their fees are gonna go up. So if you if you want a Twitch streamer to stream your game, get ready because those fees are probably gonna increase in the year 2021 and going forward. Uh, and that's it for our show. Sorry, it was a really long one, over an hour and a half. If you're still listening to this, thank you so much. Uh, for listening to this and every single week. Uh, thanks for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cam Koji. Uh, and uh, once again, I am Joel, and I will see you all next week.